Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where we explore the directorial process in feature film and television production, told from the perspective of the directors themselves. Each episode features a brand new interview with a different director, always conducted by a fellow member and one of their peers. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Nate Parker's film, The Birth of a Nation. The film tells the true story of Nat Turner, a slave living on a Virginia plantation in the early 1800s, who is taught to read so he can preach obedience to other slaves. When Turner witnesses atrocities committed against other slaves, he orchestrates an uprising in the hopes of leading his people to freedom. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Parker spoke with director Jeffrey Bird about the challenges he faced while directing his first feature film. In the conversation, Parker discusses his personal connection to and discovery of Nat Turner's story, the difficulty he faced independently financing the film, and his decision to reappropriate the title of the D.W. Griffith Civil War film from 1915, The Birth of a Nation. Woo! Whoa, whoa, Nate, whoa, whoa. Let me tell you something. That, 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 that was a journey, sincerely, and from, from, I mean, you just heard it, but I mean, amazing. That was an amazing film, it was amazing artistic expression. It, it, I mean, it, it blew me away, had me in tears, had me mad, had me sad, had me happy. I mean, all the things that, you know, a film's supposed to do, but also it, it, it raised my human spirit. And, and it's interesting that I'm able to say that from, from a film in regards to, you know, lots of death and killing and people dying. But it, it did, it raised, it raised my human spirit of, of history and my historical knowledge. So my, my hat's off to you. I need one more round of applause for that, though, seriously. Thank you, thank you all very much, thank you. Uh, okay, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna read something really fast just for the, for, for the audience, not really for you, but it's, it's, it's for the audience, just because I think it gets lost in what you did with this film brought it to the forefront. Um, Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolia sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here is fruit for the crows to pluck. For the rain to gather. For the wind to suck for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter crop. Now that's from Billie Holiday. And the interesting thing about it is you had, the, you had the song obviously in your film at the very end. And, but I think people listen to the music a lot of times and they lose the message. And I really wanted to say that to this crowd and have the words actually hit because your visuals totally fully supported that. So now let me get right into the film. Let me start with history and how historical 
you felt unless you wanted to say something about this. Frankly. No, I, I I did want to comment on uh, on the, the 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 poem and the poetry. Uh, for me, those words represent uh, almost a resume for America. Um, that is who we are more than we think. Uh, then and still, mm -hmm. and in many in many ways, because we refuse to uh, deal with the trauma of it all, and I think that that puts us in a very precarious situation because it's hard to deal with, or it's hard to 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 seek out solutions to problems that are based on um, miseducation or false identity. So if we can be honest about who we are as America, uh, then we can start dealing with what it might take to deal with the words that you just read. Yes, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit. Let's talk about the film. Let's All right. Talk about the film. Okay, right. let's let's get into this. So, historically, mm -hmm. let's. I mean, you know, first of all, you 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 know, you you literally going from your acting career, you pretty much dropped out of your acting career to right. to make this film. Am That's I right. correct? That's correct. And so you took that time off seven plus years or so. Well, well I, I stopped acting um, for about two years. About two years um, okay. Yeah, about uh, twenty months to raise the money. I mean, as you guys know, uh, when you're dealing with financiers, they require your undivided attention. <laughs> and uh, when you have to go away and do an acting job, they lose interest very quickly. Uh, so at some point, I asked myself when the money kept falling out or, you know, I had someone I, on the hook, I thought. And then I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go do an acting job. And I came back and they would be gone. Um, I decided uh, to make you know the ultimate sacrifice, and I called the ultimate sacrifice because I had, uh, I you know as a as an actor, so many of us live check to check. Um, not a millionaire, I'm a thousandaire, and so many of my thousands went into making this film happen. Uh, but I felt like to really put skin in the game, I had to walk away from the business to let financiers know I was serious that uh, that I would take their gift uh, and and apply it in such a way that they could count on my 100% um, focus in making their money grow, which is, you know, why a lot of people put money into films. Exactly. So, yeah. And so, but with that said, so you thrust yourself into that. Yeah. I mean, what was the impetus for that? What was the impetus for this story? Because there's so many stories you could tell. What was right, the impetus right. for, for, for Well, for, for me, it was, it was Nat Turner. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I'll try to use a lens of, of, of the director, since I'm speaking to so many directors. Uh, you know, when you think about... Um, 18 months of your life and what you want to be stuck with um, and especially when it's your first time and you know that it'll be arduous and you know that there'll be obstacles and you ask yourself well what is the thing that if I, if every decision I made was the wrong one if every step I took was a failure that I could live with it because I was so desperately needing to tell the story and that was this uh, I learned about Nat Turner not in school, and I grew up in Virginia, 42 miles east of Nat Turner. I grew up, I, I learned about him in my adulthood, and he immediately became my hero. Uh, the, the idea of someone that had brown skin that contributed to the narrative of America seemed like an oxymoron to me because I never learned about anyone that had such capacity. Uh, I learned about people who, you know, threw, you know, falls into, you know, the hoops and, you know, it was, you know, he, if you, if anyone worth, right, and James Baldwin calls it the gimmick, you know, it's like in our communities where I come from, if, if you don't have a gimmick, you're, you're done, you're done, you to say it, you know, the least. So when I learned about Nat Turner, someone who was not only a person who stood against injustice, but was also someone that did it in the name of God, 
Uh, so you know, when I weighed him against our other forefathers, I felt like uh, he very clearly uh, came out in the wash more heroic than anyone I'd ever read about. Um, and this was my opinion. And that had less to do with the fact that he was a black man and more to do with the facts that, that he stood for the ideals the country was designed around. Uh, so he became my hero. So then when I started to write and, um, you know, as an actor, I'll, I'll go back and forth. Um, at some point when you get, you, you can only read so many scripts that say like, you know, uh, Crip number two or Blood number four um, before you say, I, is there something more for me that I can be proud of, that my family can be proud of? And, uh, and I said, you know what, you know, Nat Turner is, is the only brave heart like story uh, in my opinion, worth telling. You know, Denmark Vesey uh, organized a revolt. You know, Gabriel Prosser organized a revolt. Um, these weren't realized because he, they were betrayed. Nat Turner, you know, his, his revolt was actualized uh, and it was on this soil. So I felt, you know, if I could get this story out to the people, um, it would do more good than hurt, you know, for all of us with respect to dealing with our miseducation. So, uh, and I also said, man, if I had not turned when I was 12, or when I was 13, or when I was 14, the age at which we lose in our community so many, um, maybe that boulder on my shoulder that weighed me down everywhere I went uh, could have been alleviated a bit uh, by the hope of knowing I had in me the same capacity that Nat Turner had in him. Uh, and so I begin the path of telling this, uh, you know, seeking to tell this story. Amazing. And so you brought up religion real quick. So let's 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 I, that was I wanted to segue into that as well. So what's what's your problem with Christianity? I mean, what? <laughs> well, well, it's it's a great question. Um, my problem is that it's far too often used as a tool uh, for bondage than a, 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 a tool of liberation. Um, uh, with that said, I'm a Christian. You know, and I always ask the question, you know, how many people would consider themselves Christian? Is there anyone in here or a couple? We have some Christian uh, directors. Great. Um, so, so, but th that's step one. Step two, I have a question for you. Uh, would you consider yourself a Nat Turner Christian or a Christian like those who beheaded him and skinned him and crushed his flesh to grease? Don't answer. Just think about it. Um, because I think that we have to wrestle with the things that permeate our society but bear no fruit, you know. Um, and so, I, you know, as a person of faith, uh, I wanted to really challenge, you know, if we are, if, 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 you know, the country was built on Christianity, but a country used Christianity to, to, to keep people in bondage and to torture people. Um, you know, in my research, I read about how before the boats uh, would set sail, uh, from England or Spain, uh, they would bring on the priests and they would pray on the top. And you could hear the moans. The slave boats. The slave boats. While they were praying on the top for safe passage, you could hear the moans of the slaves in the belly uh, of, of the ship. And just that, that visual to me also feels like America sometimes. Uh, because, you know, those that should be at the forefront of the movement, regardless of, you know, what color you are, uh, people that, you know, aspire to be Christ-like or people that aspire to be, you know, filled with faith or whatever your faith is, far too often uh, we separate our faith from the atrocities we see rather than uh, making it applicable to our everyday lives. So I wanted to deal with that. And I also wanted to deal with the iconography of faith. You know, when you say, when you hear an angel, you know, I saw an angel in the sky. What do you think about is it a white angel? Is it a black angel? Like, what do you think about? You know, or the idea of when Nat Turner baptized the man. Like, these are things we don't see. I'm 36, and I've never seen it in real life. I performed it as an actor, um, and I took it seriously. Um, no, uh, I'd never seen it in real life. So for me, it was how do we deal with that? Um, maybe heaven will be segregated. I doubt it. But I, mean, I just think about these things. So I, all I wanted to do is, 
introduced imagery that would make you think, you know, uh, as a filmmaker, and I'm a new filmmaker, you know, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I say that humbly, and uh, I'm sure there's so much to learn from everyone in, in front of me. Uh, this is my first feature film. Um, no, thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know I, don't, I don't aspire to make films for um, a moment, um, or a weekend, or an awards, or you know, I hope you know that that these films can create legacy. Um, when I look at you know what Kubrick was able to do, he's you know I very much aspire to 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 be like him with the with the with the way uh, he attacked different genres and, uh, and 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 dealt with different lenses. I just wonder you know um, how will we continue to create art, art that outlives us and that maybe hopefully uh, serves as an inheritance to our children's children. Um, and that's that's kind of been the approach, and that's why I tackled religion. That's why I ta tackled Griffith, you know, which was a very scary thing. I had my title before I start writing. Uh, I know I'm just rolling, so if you, no, no, if you no, have no, a, okay. I want to make sure I hit your questions. I'm, I'm, I'm um, so you know, just the idea of Griffith. I mean, uh, directors, this is the, the perfect. I was, I was form. going there next. Yeah, you know, uh, I feel like uh, we underestimate his power and what he was um, able to do with the moving image. Um, when you think of 1915 and the first feature-length film and it being magic, you know, how many people have tried virtual reality? It's interesting, right? It's like, everyone's like, get into VR, get into VR. And you put it on, they say some people, if their brains can't calibrate or if the VR is bad, they like throw up. You know, it's like, raw, like right while you're watching it. And you think to yourself, like, man, like, the, the whole platform, things are changing. Now imagine 1915, where people are used to seeing stage productions and all of a sudden, a man, D.W. Griffith, son of the Confederacy, decides, you know, you know, because of Reconstruction, because of and the enfranchisement of, of black people, uh, we're losing ground. Uh, and if we don't do something soon, we'll lose America to this new labor force. So he creates a film that is inspired that inspires America to embrace white supremacy as a form of self-preservation, and everyone buys in. Uh, the, mis the, the, the misconception is that, you know. Um, it just birthed the Klan off to the side. You know, the hillbilly tooth, one tooth in the backwood Everglades. That wasn't the case. You know, the Klan was all but dead in 1875. And by 19, 1917, it wrote, you know, rose in numbers over 4 million. Uh, this wasn't just, you know, this was America. Everyone bought in. And that was the foundation of our industry. And that was the foundation of America because Reconstruction really, in a way, was like the birth of our nation post-bondage. Uh, so in, in tethering this film to that film, I just want to, to, to point back and to say, well, if we're really going to deal with diversity, you know, we're really trying to have those conversations, we need to know, you know what our foundation looks like, who poured that concrete that we're having a, such a tough time walking on. Exactly. And, and, the, and the interesting thing about that, that's why I was going to go into the whole birth of a nation, the D.W. Griffith version, which was originally titled Klansmen. That's right. And which is amazing that they were like, oh, OK, well, Klansmen, they felt fine with that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you redefining it for us or for this this age right. is, is very important, which leads me to my next question. How I mean, you know, I talk to millennials. Mm -hmm. I know a few of them. Sure. So I talk to some of them from time to time, <laughs> you know, and, and some of them I know are here. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, I mean, a lot of them are trying to uh, release mm -hmm. the whole thing about race and everything else. And, you know, why is this film important to them? Well, I, first I would say, I'm not sure if they're trying to release it. Uh, I think that in the face of such a daunting task, 
sometimes it becomes easier to just accept the, the common phrase of get over it because to not get over it, to face it, just seems like such a gargantuan task. So, you know, and, and, and when, when we're dealing with race, we always talk about the conversation, uh, but how many people have had a race conversation party? There's a couple, right? And I think, is that a millennial? Thank you very much. You okay. see what I'm saying? So I think that the millennials are the ones, which is why the last scene in our film, because, you know, how do you end a film like this, you know? Uh, and, you know, in the writing, just the idea that the least among us, you know, and, and J Jasper being the Judas, right? Everything inside of us wanted us, wanted to kind of not hate him, but disprove of what he did. But he became the change. Nat Turner was just the messenger. And I think that sometimes the messenger, that the, the, the idea of the messenger gets uh, sidetracked uh, by what he does rather than the fruit he bears from the seed he planted. Like not to, most, most of the revolutionaries never get to see the things that, that they see the fruit from the tree that they plant. They just don't true. get to see it. Okay. Right. There's, there's, you could go on and on and on and on and on, cross race, everything. So with a character like that, it was, it was directly, you know, addressed toward millennials or anyone that would, would consider themselves, whether it be Black Lives Matter or uh, uh, Color of Change or anyone that is young, that is vibrant, that has the energy to step up to the plate and deal with this issue of race. Okay, so we're in a room full of filmmakers. Let's 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 talk film. We'll get, we'll get back right. to let's, okay. let's talk film. Okay, so um, you did this film, but I mean, budgetarily, where were you around? I mean, everybody mm -hmm. knows the legend of seventeen point five right. Sundance. Um, but yeah, let's get let's go way before that. Okay, okay. couple things. Yes. No, take me on a journey. Twenty seven days. Uh, nice. We shot the film. Nice. Um, and, uh, and it was very difficult 27 days because we were bonded. Um, so I did have someone I literally could feel. I can still, when I close my eyes, feel the, the breath <laughs> over my shoulder. <laughs> um, we had, we had um, about eight and a half, nine um, million dollars. Okay. Uh, and, you know, 27 days. The original schedule was 40. First one, the first script I ever sent to a, a line producer uh, they said 40 days, and uh, they said maybe 38. Now, of course, I had to cut a lot of pages early on. I tried. I really tried to uh, uh, shoot my film and edit my film before I shot it. You know, I really, you know, I got my, I, we, we, on the page, we got down to about 98 pages. Uh, originally, we were about 121 pages. Uh, got down to about 98 pages, uh, and then we backed into the 27 days, and the way to really uh, mitigate uh, the severity of that was uh, my my cinematographer Elliot Davis and I. We spent. Please give him a hand. He's remarkable. Um, we met uh, six hours a day, every day, and prep six days a week. Um, every morning, he was the first person I saw very early, and then every evening, uh, when I was doing all my departments, he and I um, sat for an additional um, three hours. And really, it was talking through things. It was shot listing. We shot list three times all the way through the script. Um, you know, I had very, very uh, detailed and intense storyboards, uh, and so you know, we wanted we we start we we'd start off at somewhere around like fifteen setups, and the goal was to get below ten, but my private goal is to get seven or below. So, uh, very few of, of 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 the scenes you saw had more than seven or eight setups. So we really, really focused on getting that down. So we 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 shot this through once, twice, and then the third time it would be me on the day. So the morning on the way drive. I mean, on top of only having 20, 27 days, we only had 10 days of shooting because all of our, if, if anyone shot in Savannah lately, 
Anyone shooting Savannah? So we shot on real plantations, you know, and these plantations, every single one of them, in, you know, housed real enslaved people, but they were far out from downtown where we were staying. So we lost an hour driving to work, you know, and then rap out, it was just, uh, we were in a very, very, very tough spot every day. And because I'm, I'm surrounded by directors, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the inside juice on uh, what, how we started in a, a massive disadvantage. So my line producer was convinced that we'd be able to find, because of Savannah, between Atlanta and North Carolina, we'd be able to find all the crew members we needed. So everything budgetarily, we were, you know, we assumed we would be fine. And the bond company, of course, I had to, I mean, all the talk, I mean, oh, the bond company. <laughs> She was um, Steve Berman, he, remarkable guy though. He was really helpful. So he sits with us and uh, he's like, "Great, everything looks great. We're gonna bond you guys." He bonds us, right? We get to Savannah. No crew. Like for for some reason, everyone's just gone. He's calling people, and my line producer said, "The only person that's available is the sound guy. We got a sound guy from Savannah." I'm like, "That's it." So <laughs> we're basically about three hundred thousand into our contingency before we ever start shooting, and so. My phone rings, and it's the Steve Berman, the Bond company. He's like, so, Nate, um, we got to talk. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, uh, you know, because it's my first rodeo, so I, I approached everything with humility. Please talk to me and make suggestions. He said, we got to basically, we're going to have a two-week uh, trial thing to see how you do over these two weeks. Because no one knew how I worked. You know, no one knew that I would show up or if I was going to crap the bed. Like, no one knew. <laughs> so here we go. We get, we, uh. You know, I sit with him. He says, "If in two weeks you're over, or we, we, you know," he said, "You, you are where you're supposed to be at the end of shooting." He says, "If you're over, we might have to start cutting plantations. We might have to start cutting or figuring out what it would look like to move forward, which means give the movie to someone else." So one of you guys may have been called uh, to save the film, um, and you know, and I, and I really, in my, in my boldness, I guess, I said, "Well." Um, this sounds good, sounds fair, uh, but if I make my days and in two weeks we're on schedule, there are a couple things that I need. Uh, I need a technocrane. I just need it. Uh, <laughs> for this, this scenes right here, I need more extras. They had something crazy like 80 extras or something. For the for whole the, thing? No, for like the the, the end. For the, for the like battle, for the um not the, the battle and um the 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 gallows thing. And I was like, we need. It's no way it's gonna look full. And I'm sitting with my first AD, and so I asked for a hundred extra extras, and uh and he just kind of coolly was like, yeah, yeah yeah sure yeah yeah yeah. Do you make your days in two two weeks for sure? Yeah absolutely. Um, and then we made our days. We made all our days. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, so what I'm gonna was try. The, what was his response like then? Did, he was was the technocrate on the way, or was it there? Like with it was there. No, we, we we were borrowing it from Atlanta, so it made it there. And then, I mean, I'm sure you guys recognize the scene where uh, it was very important for me that the scene where Nat uh, is, is is hung, where he goes up, that the camera rises in a way that we rise with him, and he leaves the world behind. He leaves the evil, the negative, the um, that we didn't, he didn't go away from us. That we we rose with him. It was very important. We shot it that way, and. And I just didn't have any other way to shoot outside of the, the, the techno, um, and the, and so that's basically basically uh, how we did it. But he was very happy. I, I mean, I honestly feel like he was pulling for me. Um, I think being a first time director really helped. Um, I ran my set very much like a um, like a village, where there was no level of importance um, outside of anyone. You know, everyone. Uh, and this is you know, I always kept telling everyone, I don't know how to do it, but this is the way that you know I you know I coach sports, so every every best idea wins. Um, you know, I know when to put my foot down, but I also know that that 
everyone has a brain and, and hopefully they can be, you know, within the, the, the context of what they do. If I allow them, hire the best, get out of the way, allow them to work at their capacity, then nothing but good will come um, from them being empowered. And, and, and it kind of worked that, that, that way. You know, there, there are ideas that came from random people at random times that were very helpful, that we took very seriously. Uh, and every day was like a miracle. I mean, if you can imagine, uh, every day was a miracle. Amazing. And speaking of uh, talking about crew, mm -hmm. so talking about that, let, let's you know since this is the Directors Guild, but also the ADs and UPMs play a major role here at the at, at the Directors Guild. Mm -hmm. How was your experience with your AD your AD team? It, it was. I mean, it could and been. also the weather and everything. With Savannah, was it? We're gonna get to the weather. Okay. Like, don't let me forget. All right. uh, anyone knows anything about the South, specifically Savannah? It rains every day around about two o'clock for about 45 minutes, um, <laughs> and then everything's wet. So, you know, we're gonna get to that. Um, but my AD department, led by Thomas Dutch guy, goes by Dutch, I don't know if you guys know who he is, he's just a remarkable, remarkable guy. Uh, and, and, with, and what I liked about him more than anything else is that uh, he, he had the guts to say, Nate, I don't know if this is a good idea. You know, early on, or I know that you said this is important, but this scene right here, it looks like it's gonna take a lot out of us. And then me being like, Okay, let's cut it. You know, uh, if, if if it's not something that's driving the story, or, or or especially seeing what we've cut, then then let's move forward. Um, get into the. I don't know we have a whole lot of time. Get into the the. the uh, look over there. It's all right. Okay, good, 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 good. So, uh, <laughs> kidding. Um, the weather of it all. So we 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 bought a lot of peat moss. Anyone know know what peat moss is? Uh, so peat moss was our secret weapon because we knew it was going to rain every day, but we also knew that for con continuity's sake, we had to make sure that everything always looked dry. So we had a wonderful greens crew that had stacks and stacks of peat moss. So if it rained and when it rained, we would just spread out. Um, you know, the battle sequence, uh, battle scene scene we had one day to shoot. That was one day. That that battle one sequence. day. One day we ran three cameras uh, the, the entire time, uh, which was a little expensive because we had to bring in, you know, you know, a crew. Uh, but we just ran, you know. I told, you know, my my. That's including the room where you guys are in when the. Uh, the when that no, the the room that once the whole battle up oh. until we went inside of the uh, thing was one day. It was one day. The next part I want to say was a half day. Yeah, but, um, but the battle itself was was very tough. The night before I couldn't sleep, so I went to Walmart, and uh, yeah, and I got a six pack of. Um, Ketchups, uh, squirters like the restaurant mm -hmm. kind, and uh, and I was because I couldn't sleep. I went and I was the first one at my little hair makeup trailer. I said, "Give me all your blood." I was like, "We're gonna fill all these up. And we're gonna give them to the PAs." And I said, "As we're shooting, when someone gets shot, just told my PAs just stand behind the, the guy with the camera, and when the guy actually just squirt the blood up, just everyone just and it was if you could have been at the like, you know." 50-foot view, seeing PAs just squirting blood everywhere and cameramen just flying. I said, don't, it does not matter. I said, you, I said, if you have to spend the whole scene or this whole next five minutes with a cameraman there, don't worry about it. We'll cut them out. We'll punch it. We'll do what we have to do. Just don't turn the cameras off. Uh, and that's how we achieved it. We just, uh, we, we rehearsed in the hotel rooms all the battle sequences with our stunt coordinator. And then we just shot like we were on fire and we couldn't sit down. Uh, um, amazing. Um, let, let's talk actors for a second. Uh, yeah. So you had a great cast of actors. It was yeah. amazing. Thank you know, you. from Thank Andre, you an amazing cast. Thank of you. Actors. So my, my question in this world that we're living in currently, how do you get? How did you get your white actors to be that comfortable mm -hmm. being that racist? Well, at I, all times. No, but, but because I, mean, I don't believe. You know, I really don't believe in villains. You know, I told them like. 
people they did what they did for their reasons. You know, the man that hammered out the teeth. Excuse me, was he bad? Nonchalantly hammered out the teeth. But why do you do things that are nonchalant? How, what, what explains that attitude? It's necessity. If I own you and I've bought you and I've saved up to buy you and I depend on you for sustenance and to eat, then how dare you not eat? You know? Even if you listen to the words he said, if you know, if it ain't the Yankees, it's it's the drought. If it ain't the drought, it's it's mutiny. You know, it's not this is my property and I'm gonna bang out his teeth because it's funny. It's this is my property. Your job is to do your job. And if you're not gonna eat, then I, what am I supposed to do? Starve. And I tried to paint everyone with that brush. You know, far too often when we deal with these type of films, we have the sociopathic, you know, white man that wants nothing more than to destroy black flesh. I'm not sure I'm concerned with that definition of racism. You know, definition number three, actually in the dictionaries, number three. But white supremacy, you know, uh, 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 systemic racism, you know, the systems that cause people to put up these walls of cognitive dissonance and allow them to own people and to destroy people uh, and to terrorize people, whether it be psychologically or physically, those are the things that I want to deal with because those are the things that are holding us back today, you know? Um, so with my actors, I just told them very, you know, very earnestly that they, you have to believe this. You know what I mean? Like when you're saying the N word, it's almost like saying son of a bitch. Son of a like, who do you think you are? You know what I mean? Like, when you say it, understand what's motivating it. Is it the drought? You know what I'm saying? If you're in a drought and your slave won't eat? Don't get it. You know, or, in the case of the Randall Plantation, so it is a drought, so you have to conserve what you have. So you don't feed them as much, and then they, they stop working? How dare them? That's the psychology that we're dealing with. But it's not too far off from the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know? Exactly. Which, I mean, which is interesting that that word, it's so funny, it just kept hitting me in the head as I'm watching it. The word lazy kept That's coming right. out of the mouths. And, and right. I don't know if you meant it on purpose to oh, hit yeah. people, but I was like, it was amazing. The more I heard the word lazy, the more I heard mm -hmm. a slave owner say lazy, and they were fat and slovenly. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, all the, the slaves were in shape. You mm -hmm. knew what they, we know what they were doing every day. Right. And how could you call that human, or to them, that property mm -hmm. lazy? It was amazing. Well, how do we deal with immigrants in this country? You know, how do we deal with, you know, our Mexican brothers, you know, were, how do we, like, how do we deal? It's just so much. Baldwin, I, I often Love talk Baldwin. about, he, he, ta he talks about the simple-mindedness of America, that we don't want to deal with the complexities. It's too hard. It's easy to just put people in a block, a box, and just kind of look at it out of the corner of our eye. Mm. You know, oh, that, that's the problem. Why? Because it's easier to label that the problem than it is to deal with it. Uh, last last couple of questions about craft. So uh, I love the makeup and mm -hmm. the, the the prosthetics and everything right, you did right. in there, which Thank is you. so subtle that it almost was unnoticeable. And I, I hate watching like a slavery film and everybody's got white teeth right, and everything's right, right. fine and there's this right. you know and then it's like oh we're slaves but this. Right. So but you hit everything hit the nail on the head with every little bit every little detail. How did you prep? We had six weeks of prep. First week didn't count because the money didn't go in the escrow, so I had to move to Savannah on my own. Uh, I spent my last five thousand dollars, no joke. Moved to Savannah. Um, we were, we had, you know, I went there. Did my first day. He was like, no director of mine is going to be here with no, with, you know, uh, by himself. He came down. We were in a Cono Lodge uh, kitchenette, had prep prep for the first week, and then and then I kind of called everyone. It's like I'm in prep. I don't know what you guys are doing. Then they funded. Yeah, so, but my prep uh, is what I'm the most proud of. You know, Army Hammer is uh, is a really good looking guy. 
Uh, <laughs> and so when I cast him, I said, okay, don't shave, uh, don't shower, like don't cut anything. Just yeah, You could smell him off the <laughs> Just show, I mean, he had this chest hair that was literally pushed his shirt out. It was just like, I said, don't shave. And he arrived and he was like, what do you think, boss? I was like, this is perfect. Uh, I had teeth made for him and myself. Um, I'm not sure you could tell, but they were just kind of like shifted the teeth around. Uh, so so they it just felt more authentic. Um, the, 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 the dolls you saw that were hanging, um, I had to convince uh, Tinsley uh, Makeup Studios to start making those before we could pay them, um, before we were funded. And... Um, I begged, and they said yes. So they started. If we would have pulled, they got to pull the plug. They would have lost like a like hundred some thousand. It was really bad. Uh, but those were pro those were um, dolls. They were dumb mannequins, uh, but they would look so real. Look amazingly real. Did yeah. they do that based off of like yes, you they, personally, or they, were they like we molded in the story and like no, we picked people and molded them. So we picked. They're real human beings that walk around that will see themselves. Like I was in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but it you know some of the stuff just. Took a lot of faith, you know. The people just had to have faith. Uh, the mask that Mary, uh, um, that uh, uh, Asia won, uh, wore uh, when she was in the bed. Uh, also, you know, we made that in prep, and uh, and and I just was very descriptive. You know, they did Passion of the Christ, uh, Tenzo Studios, so they were they were the best. And they said if we have enough time, we can, we can do it on a budget. So I got them to start making that face, and I said I want it to look like a pumpkin, you know. And I gave them the word Emmett Till. I remember yes, what Emmett course, Till Emmett looked Till. like. Yes. So that was kind of like my, my historical wink to um, what happened to that young man. Uh, so her face was just it was as if I said like a like a pumpkin, and you only could see the slits where. Uh, the orifices were supposed to be, you know, where they where, where they were. So a lot of stuff was just achieved um, by by prep. I mean, even when you found her, she was on auction block. She had a prosthetic, you know, prosthetic yes. in her mouth coming out. Uh, there were just little subtle things that I thought um, would give us that authenticity. Um, I, I heard this quote once, and this um, can't remember where, but it was basically saying, I'll paraphrase it. It says, uh, "Filmmaking is convincing the audience member that they're there." Uh, and I, f I didn't want anything to show the seams of our uh, struggling budget. So, you know, there were things in the script I just circled every place where I thought we were struggling um, that I felt like a scene would show. Um, I would sit with my, my, my AD team or I would sit with my producers and say, I need an advance or I need some things here to be able to make sure that we have these things later. And the last question, real quick. I, I, you have, to me, I'm watching it, Jesus Christ, you know, William Wallace. Mm -hmm. Nat Turner. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got that feeling. I mean, it was that, mm -hmm. you know, was there any influence there from from those films, from Edwards Wick, who I saw in, 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 in there? Absolutely. I mean, it's just, just you. Mel Gibson, wonderful. absolutely. Yes, Mel. Uh, I reached out to a number of directors, and they all uh, responded, all of them. Uh, reached out to Steven Soderbergh, who I, whom I believe is one of the most efficient directors in the business, and uh, he responded. And I uh, went out to New York and sat with him on the set of The Nick, and, uh, and he gave me so much, you know, he walked me around as he was shooting the day and, and then we had lunch together and he, and you know, one of the most important things he said to me was know what you want and know when you have it. Um, you know, uh, make sure that you are, you, you know, your material, you know, your process so desperately that you'll know when something seems false, even if it's coming from a producer. Um, mm -hmm. and so that was, you know, I reached out to Mel Gibson. He responded. Uh, he like, I sent my script to him and then like, a month and a half later, I'm like at my wife's mother's house and I get a call and this is assistant and I'm like, hello? It's like, I have Mel Gibson waiting for you. I was like, what? 
Uh, and he just his biggest thing was Sundays don't work. I mean, I'm just giving you guys the jewels because if any if you can take anything from this experience, it'll be easier for you. I hope. Uh, he said Sunday don't work. Saturday night, turn off your phone. Don't turn it off on to Monday morning. He said uh, if you're going to direct yourself, your your greatest asset is your health. Uh, he said he did it for something like seven months on. Um, uh, on Braveheart, and he said uh, he didn't get sick. He says if you lose your voice, you're dead. You get sick, you're dead. Um, you know, Ed Zwick. You know, I sat with him. I, you know, I reached out to him because I did a film with his, his son, Jesse. Uh, and he read the script. He said, "Come by the office." I went to the office in Santa Monica, and we went through uh, every battle sequence in Glory, uh, Last Samurai, uh, Defiance. Um, and and he taught me the importance of foreground uh, and battle sequences. You know, uh, the scene that he saved. Uh, early on that stuck with me and I was able to shoot properly was a scene when we were in the armory. He said, you want to ground up a bucket of uh, cork, uh, mix that with uh, like dirt. And he says, when you, when you let off the shots, have your first AD yell, bang, bang, bang. And then, you know, bounce the cork, you know, just throw, he said, just throw it. No, 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 just, I'm exposing myself. I'm sorry. Um, But it helped because those are the things that with the atmosphere, you know, the, the, the smoke in the room. Um, it just gives that sense of constantly there are things in, on every single plane. You know, for me, the films that I respond to um, uh, the most, uh, you know, you know, Kurosawa has a, has a big influence on me because of his use of planes. You know, he shoots his films like I'm looking at you as the audience member. Like as I, as I look out at you, everyone's moving, however slight, and it does something to my perspective in the way that I see what, you know, you all when I look out. And that's something that I, I really try to apply in every scene that I possibly could, uh, whether it be, you know, at the clothesline scene, you know, where it's her, then it's the clothes she's hanging, the clothes behind her, the trees behind her, the 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 her uh the the woman uh, Katie Garfield who was on the porch I just tried to create as many planes as possible in every single shot uh even if it had the slightest bit of mo- of motion because I felt like it gave more of the sense that you were there. Um, Recording. Yeah. Okay, I gotta wrap it up, but wow! Last, let me just say, you, you, I mean. Amazing film, Nate. Thank you, brother. Thank you very and much. And for all you uh, DJ members out there, please take away what he said about mentorship. And we have to really, the guild, do better with that. It's amazing that you were mentored by those guys and you're standing up right here. You're here right now with this piece of art. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Directors Guild. Nate Parker, the director of Birth of a Nation. Thank you so much. Really quickly, I'm sorry. Really quickly. Uh, I have to say this. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe this is my fan, my fan moment. Uh, but you guys have no mu- no no idea how much I look up to you all uh, as directors. You know, I've been watching films. I'm sure many of your films for for years. And to be standing here uh, with a film that actually was realized and happened. I uh, still have dreams and wake up in the middle of the night like it didn't, but I'm here. Uh, I just want to thank you for the work that you do that inspires, you know, first-time filmmakers like me. I couldn't do that without, you know, resting on the shoulders that you guys have provided. So thank you for the work that you do. Please continue to do it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this DGA Q&A. Check out past episodes of the podcast by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts or on our website at dga.org slash podcast. We'll have a lot more episodes coming your way over the next several weeks, so stay tuned. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.